toddler's ABCs. Athletics beyond coronavirus. Hillel Cutler's ABCs. Athletics beyond coronavirus. Hillel Ascribe Welcome to Hillel Cutler's ABCs, Athletics Beyond Coronavirus. I'm Hillel Cutler, a veteran journalist who specializes in both healthcare and sports. Sometimes I write about healthcare within sports, like medical providers who work at ski resorts or those tending to athletes at the Olympics. In this era of the coronavirus and the lockdown that is helping to save our lives by limiting the spread of the disease, I think often of what the people who work in sports are experiencing at a time that they would normally be on the field, the court, or the rink. I think of the athletes, the coaches, the broadcasters, the executives, the game day staff, and I'm interested in how fans are faring now. On this podcast, I interview them about the very real here and now, and also about the day after, when the lives that we prefer to live can resume, and when the sports we love return. I welcome your comments, including suggestions for interviews. Just email me at hk at hillelthescribecommunications.com. My guests today are Andy McNeil and Jeff Danzler. Andy is a lawyer in Atlanta and a mock trial instructor at his alma mater, Georgia Tech. Jeff broadcasts University of Georgia football, baseball, and basketball games. He covers those and other sports on the Southeastern Conference Network and also on Sports Radio 960 in Athens, Georgia. Today we'll be discussing one image, one photograph. Andy McNeil and Jeff Danzler, welcome to Hillel Cutler's ABC's Athletics Beyond Coronavirus. Uh, guys, I, I came across this photo last month, and it really struck me. It's a, it's a black and white picture. It sort of has a, a bit of a sepia tone look to it, which might just be the fact that it's faded over time. And it, it shows people sitting on basic concrete bleachers, concrete benches. They're all men. They're all white men, it seems. And they're all wearing two things in common. They're all wearing hats, some fedoras, some other hats. And they're all wearing face masks. And on the back of the picture, it states that, it, that the picture was taken at Georgia Tech's Grant Field during the 1918 flu epidemic. And what's not written there is that the photographer, the man who took the picture, apparently was Andy's great-grandfather, Thomas Frederick Carter. So I wanted to start by asking Andy if you could tell me a little bit about whether you and your great-grandfather ever talked about that game the picture or even the era of the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918. Happy to, hello, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, my great-grandfather was born in 1900 and he died in 1998. Um, and I graduated high school in 1997 and I made a decision to go to Georgia Tech. So he was alive when uh, he learned that I was going. So we immediately bonded over that uh, in, in many things. Um, and the picture, um, it's been the family for years and uh, he never mentioned a, about going to the game specifically. Um, but I've had this picture hanging up in my office. People have talked about it even before the coronavirus hit. Um, but, but the thing that really set, shed some light into it is my father and uncle interviewed my great grandfather before he died and they recorded it thankfully. Um, and, you know, he did mention being at tech during the Spanish flu. Um, 
And it just boggles the mind that, you know, it, the time frame that what we're dealing with now is, is almost identical to what they were doing as well. So with the Spanish flu, uh, they been, had been going since approximately January of that year, and then roll around to the fall and football season, and my great-grandfather and his friends and classmates are wearing masks at a, at a football game. Um, and so they were both adapting to the situation by trying to protect themselves, but also life was proceeding with, with sports, which is near and dear to us for, for many reasons. Now, there's another picture that goes with it, which shows spectators, maybe the same ones, but from behind, you see right. back, their yeah. backs and you see the field beyond, right, the one that you're holding up in your hand now. And it shows some of the players walk, walking almost in formation, maybe before the game, after the game, or possibly during halftime. And, uh, and I'm wondering whether, were, were there any pictures of your grandfather taken at the game? Does he appear in any of them? Not, not to my knowledge, no. And um, it took us a lot of, we, me and my family have been trying to figure out for years what game that actually was. And there was a recent article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, by Ken, the sportscaster. Um, and he deduced that it was probably the Furman game that year. Um, and that's, that's as much as we can figure out about which game that was. Um, and my great-grandfather graduated from Tech in 1920. He initially started at Emory because he thought he wanted to be a doctor. Then he decided he wanted to uh, go work in the mechanical engineering world and transfer to tech. And so we know that the photo was taken in 1918 and he graduated in 1920 from tech. So at 18, he was probably a freshman. He was 18 years old, right? That's our guess. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what do you, what do you know about his experiences at that, at that university and at that time? Well, I know uh, there were two majors at the time. Uh, only two majors offered at Georgia Tech, mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. And he chose mechanical. Um, uh, I, I do know that, um, he, um, he was quite handy. He, he actually, uh, the, the story that I mentioned, uh, the interview that my dad and uncle did earlier, uh, that I mentioned earlier, uh, my great grandfather, uh, evidently, uh, figured out how to create a, a very simple bur burglary system on campus. There were some burglaries happening and, uh, there was actually a very famous, um, uh, uh comic book character back in the day named Nick Carter. And because Grandpa uh, developed this burglary system on campus to catch this 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 burglar, uh, everyone started calling him Nick Carter after this relatively famous comic book character. So he's he's had quite the life, um, and uh, it's just inspiring to know that you know he made it through the Spanish flu and lives you know a very enjoyable, fulfilling life, and, and inspires us to do the same thing. We just got to make the right decisions. Do you do you have any idea whether there was anyone in your family? who was affected by the, the epidemic at the time? Not to my knowledge, no. Um, you know, he met his wife when um, she was also 18. She was at Agnes Scott. Um, and nothing came up in the interview about the Spanish flu, um, you know, other than, you know, he was at the game with his mask on. Uh, that's, that's, that's about it. Mm -hmm. Jeff, what do, you, what do you know about this picture? What do, do, was it covered in your local paper? Um, how, did, how did it strike you when you, when you heard about it? The first I saw of it was uh, the, the, the famous sports writer, Tony Barnhart, who has covered college football primarily for decades uh, for the Atlanta Constitution and, and various other sources. Uh, he posted it up on social media, and I, I was absolutely blown away by it. And as you guys pointed out, it is, you know, essentially the, the same time frame. It was basically 100 years ago. And then, uh, you know, Hillel, when, when you connected us there, just hearing about Andy's grandfather, who was obviously just a, a remarkable man. 
and to, to go through all that, you know, I, I think it, it did as, as a student of history, uh, you, you know, the, the old story, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. But, but I, I think we can also learn so much for it. And the story was, which in, in, in so many ways, that the, the Spanish flu was way worse in terms of death and percentage and the effects that it had on people. But we pulled together and went along. And that photo j just struck me because there's so much concern here. And uh, I know for me, I, I, I broadcast to so many Georgia sports and baseball, one of my primary ones. So we were just four weeks into the season and the season was taken away. So the impact it had on so many people in, in a variety of ways. Uh, sports is a great unifier. It, it brings people together. I mean, even, hey, you've got a diehard Bulldog and a diehard Yellow Jacket here. So that's, uh, there's hope for peace in the Middle East. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but sports brings people together. Um, it's, it's also a great passion for so many people. And it's a distraction. It's a release. And, and I remember a story that Rudy Giuliani told uh, in, in 2001 and that famous World Series between the Yankees and Diamondbacks and uh, Jeter had the the big game-winning homer and, and you know, of course this is uh, right uh, after the events of the terrorist attacks of, of September 11th and he said you know today was the first day I picked up the sports section first again so it was kind of a sign that we were returning to normal so what I got out of the photo that, that Andy's great-grandfather gave us that, that as awful as that was, because you think about this is in, in the midst of World War One, and we're dealing with this horrible epidemic, but people came together, uh, in, in this case, to, to go watch their team play. So I, I know that day on my local sports talk show, that was the main topic of conversation, because uh, for those of us who's been, who've been plugging along doing that, I've said, We've done a lot of lists, a lot of Mount Rushmore's of great things because there hadn't been any, any current games to talk about. Mm -hmm. So just having that picture, I, I think, struck us in so many ways. And I think it also struck people who were concerned about, am I going to be able to see my Bulldogs? Am I going to be able to see my Yellow Jackets, my, my Gators, my Crimson Tide playing here? It's like, you know what? We, we did it 100 years ago. Okay. Uh, Jeff, are you saying that you discussed this picture on your one of your programs? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, it, 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 it hit home with me. And I think for any sports fan, especially, I mean, in the deep South where college football is, is everything, I always joke if, you know, if, if we don't beat Andy's yellow jackets, we don't get to put up a Christmas tree that year. So where it's, where it means so much to, to so many people on, on so many fronts, I think that to me is like, you know what people got along and did it in 1918 we're going to be able to do that in 2020. You know, it might look a little different for a year, but we're going to be able to do it. You know, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution article that you mentioned, um, the, the game, if it was indeed the October 12th home game against Furman, mm -hmm. then that, that was the first game after kind of a, um, a shutdown of the city. Um, now, the, the, uh, the article mentioned, the part that was excerpted in the, Atlanta article went back and found the article from that era. And there's one, one really interesting sense. It says at the game, it says that there were plenty of girls and second lieutenants present, many students looking in their influenza masks like bandits of a mild sort. And, mm -hmm. you know, we see, as I said before, there were, uh, the, the picture shows 
almost everybody wearing a, uh, a mask. And of course now it seems like the mask has turned into, instead of something that can save us all and save the people next to us, into almost like a, uh, a symbol of defiance, why not to wear it. And I'm wondering whether, whether that is part of the dialogue that you guys are hearing that your people are either saying pro or con based not on the medical reasons to wear or not to wear or not wear it, but, but based on who's, who's advocating for it or against it, almost like a political uh, alliance of one way or the other. Andy, do you do you hear any of that in Atlanta? Do you friends, relatives? Colleagues? Well, we've already had this discussion. You know, if and when you know, not only the football season uh, hopefully starts, but also you know, baseball. We, well, my friends and I have already talked about we're going to be taking every step we can to be careful, but we also want to proceed because, as Jeff was mentioning, you know, sports is so important in the South, just like it is everywhere. It's a it's a camaraderie amongst your friends, and you're cheering on your, you know, your your home team, but you got to make the right choices with that. Um, and if I have to go sit at, you know, Bobby Dodd Stadium or Sanford Stadium with a mask on, then so be it. I just want to be there to, to support the, the teams and watch them compete. Um, you just got to make these wise choices. It's going to be hot and it's probably going to be uh, uncomfortable, but, you know, the, the, the responsible, wise people are going to be doing this just like my great-grandfather and his classmates and, and fans did 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jeff? Does any of this sort of political politically charged aspect of this issue does that come forward even on a sports program we've honestly tried to sidestep the politics of it and in fact that the governor of our great state brian kemp's a personal friend of mine and a, a georgia alum our lieutenant governor by the way jeff duncan uh pitched at tech so that's another good example of of georgia tech getting along so from our standpoint on, on the political end, um, we, we've tried to stay away from that on my local show just because no matter how you feel on all this, we, we've looked at our three hours in the afternoon as a place of escape. Because I think, you know, one big difference between now and 100 years ago, social media and the 24-7 news cycle, and I know with, with a lot of the events that have been going on, I found myself a day or two just being glued to the news and it was, mm -hmm. it, it was rough. And, you know, I, I think on everybody, there, there's going to be some, some depression, some uncertainty and, and some angst and some fear and some anger and all that that sets in. So uh, my, my co-host and I, and I've worked with, um, with several great people like Chris Brame, David Johnston, Tyler Head in particular on my local show, we, we have 99.9% .9 kept it sports. We, we've kept it, you know, history, talking about great games. And honestly, we haven't had any complaints. I, I've had, you know, the, the tweets and text I've gotten are from people just saying, you know, hey, we appreciate th this kind of escape and it's nice turning on you guys and, and just hearing about college football and baseball and basketball and, and golf and tennis. So, I think that's something that we've tried very hard to do, but, but I agree with Andy, you know, people are going to follow the guidelines and yeah, this, this thing, like anything, you know, it, it certainly became politically charged, but, but I think, uh, you know, the, the big thing is whenever bad things happen, good things can come out of that. And, you know, I, I know for me, 
things, and I was probably as, as big a victim, I'm sure all three of us were, things I took for granted. My, my goodness, I'll savor every second of that. Uh, just mm -hmm. For instance, we played last year, we played a 20-inning baseball game against Clemson. Mm -hmm. My wife thought I'd been mugged or kidnapped because I went home until 2.30 in the morning. And, you know, we're sitting there, my, my broadcast partner, David Johnson, and I, it's about 1.30 in the 18th inning. You know, we're punch drunk saying, oh, my gosh, they got to change these extra inning games in the midweek, you know, in the 10th. They need to start putting a runner on, blah, blah, blah. And it's what I wouldn't give to call a 20-inning game. So I think for anybody, and especially for all of us who – the three of us who love what we do, uh, yet we want to return to normal, but, but we want, in the end, we want things to be even better. And I think savoring everything is going to be very important for us. And I think we all will, because we all, we all miss what we love. And, and a brief follow up to that, because you just, you just pinged a memory of mine uh, in the sports world. Um, I grew up playing football here in Georgia at Lithia Springs High School. We had a very good team. We were expecting to make the state playoffs, but we didn't. And uh, I never forget this saying, and I think it holds true with, you know, your points, Jeff. Coach Hector reminded us the person's true character comes out when times are the toughest. So as football players, you know, we're hoping to make it to state playoffs. We didn't, but we had to just, we had, you know, we had to remind ourselves to be good people. And, and, you know, that same, same with what we're dealing with now. You know, a person's true character comes out in times the toughest. And I'm very I'm positive and optimistic that, you know, when we can return to sports, watching them, it's, you know, we're going to make the right decisions as far as masks and safety procedures because times are tough. But we've got a lot of good people that uh, are going to be going to sports games to do the right thing. Yeah, and, and I, I would certainly say, Kat, my motto during all this has been lights shine brightest in the darkness. So, uh, you know, kind of what Andy was saying when times are tough, that's when good people and great leadership really shows. Are, are there athletes, whether collegiate athletes at either school or pro athletes in Atlanta, which is, of course, the big, big American metropolis, are there athletes or coaches, sports figures, who have taken a, a visible role in helping, helping um, make the situation better for people in terms of charitable work, uh, helping people who don't have what to eat. I mean, I, I have kind of find it, found it very inspiring reading stories here and there about athletes in different sports across the United States who have, um, for example, paid for uh, food donations to, to kids who are missing meals in school because schools are closed and these kids don't have enough to eat for breakfast and lunch or um, other, other athletes like uh, Shinsu Chu of the Texas Rangers, for example, who he and his wife paid, I think, more than a million dollars to help pay for the, uh, the minor leaguers in baseball who were going without. Of course, they were paid very little in the first place. Things that athletes are doing that have really tried to make a bad situation a little bit better. Are, can you, can you, uh, th are, are there other are cases that you've come across in different places in Georgia? I'll, I'll lead in with that, Andy. The uh, and it, well, Kirby Smart, um, he and uh, his wife Mary Beth, they three years ago created the Kirby Smart Family Foundation. They've raised close to a million dollars for various charities, and uh, that that has certainly been shining through with this. I, I think what's made this situation so unique is that everybody has been isolated, and that the the student athletes, obviously all the students you know, were basically sent home. 
all this stuff kind of hit. I'm sure Tech had the same spring break that Georgia did. So it was a don't even come back to campus. So I, I think from that end with all the, the, the athletes being isolated, trying to work out at home, that, that's made it extra tough. And, and now the college football has kind of come up and, and you've got the players coming back uh, and, and doing some, some workouts now. And I would, it, it's obviously under some, some pretty strict guidelines there. But, yeah, there, there is no doubt. I mean, Kirby and, and his family, they have done a great, great deal for charity. And, you know, I, I know that that's been the case with, with coaches everywhere because, I mean, the, the economic impact. Now, Atlanta's different because it's a major city. But I, I think you've got to understand economically, for a place like Athens, Georgia, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Gainesville, Florida, just losing the sports in the spring was was a tremendous economic impact. And if you're talking about football, which feeds everything, the money that it brings in for all the other sports, and, and, and not just that, the hotel impact, the restaurant impact, the number of workers there. And I even look from, from my end, not having baseball this year uh, for the, 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 since I wasn't calling games, the young man that fills in for me for my local talk show when, when I'm gone with the baseball team, uh, he also produces the baseball games. He wasn't in for those shifts. So that's just an example of the trickle down. So when you see some of these financial impacts, I'm not sure it, it fully, fully hits home. And, and I can tell you on a personal front, the University of Georgia has been fantastic. I've worked uh, other projects. They have paid me, the university and IMG, that they have, the university, they have paid me for the baseball games that I would have done. Now, I've worked and I've done some other projects. And I, I can tell you, too, just uplifting a, a group of coaches that I'm very close with uh, over two months, each one of them uh, sent me a check. Uh, for $200 just to, to help with rent and everything. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm still getting paid. But, but the fact that they were able to reach out like that, it, uh, boy, you, you talk about a, a tear jerking moment. It certainly meant a lot to me. So, you know, I, I can just tell you here at Georgia firsthand and, and just what, what the, the coaches here have done. And Kirby's certainly been at the forefront that the charity that's come out, as we said, uh, it is, uh, in, in tough times, you see uplifting things. And I can tell you firsthand, we've had some incredibly uplifting moments. What about you, Andy? What do you hear from the Georgia Tech people? Well, um, you know, we're all just adjusting, uh, you know, as we become aware of the situation. Um, I know that, you know, myself and some other, um, you know, instructors there are, are very aware of how the um, – you know, situations impacting everyone there at the school. Um, we still haven't uh, come to a determination what the fall semester is going to look like as far as, you know, in-person class, remote classes. I teach and coach the mock trial team, which we, we travel the country to compete at other schools, unknown if we're going to do that. Um, but the thing that popped into my mind, you know, to follow up with Jeff's point about, um, you know, people um, involved in sports giving back is uh, Arthur Blank, you know, owner of the Falcons, owner of the United. Uh, he understood what, what the coronavirus situation was impacting, you know, his, his, you know, the thousands of staff that work at these games. And uh, I forget the exact amount, but um, he was, you know, contributing to their, you know, temporary uh, salaries because they can't work at the games. They can't work the concessions. But you have the owner of, you know, two organizations in Atlanta 
you know, paying it forward, so to speak, to help those that need it. So um, it's, it's, it's encouraging. Of course, he's also the owner of one of the biggest companies in the area, Home Depot, which is That's true. based on it. Um, Jeff, I, or both of you guys, I was going through the schedule, basically, the 1918 um, Georgia Tech team, which back then was called the Golden Tornado. And I could not believe the, I could not believe what I was looking at. Honestly, I thought I was looking at basketball scores. And so I'm wondering, Jeff especially, what, uh, because of your grasp of the history of, of, um, of the collegiate teams there, what, what explains some of these scores? I know that the Furman game that we mentioned where the photograph might have been taken, Georgia Tech won 118 to nothing. The next week they beat a team called the 11th Cavalry, which is presumably in our military team, 123 to nothing. Then they beat NC State two weeks later, 128 to nothing. They won three other games that season, they went six and one. 28 nothing against Camp Gordon, which was an army base in Atlanta. 28 nothing over Clemson, 41 nothing over Auburn. They did lose in Pittsburgh, also a shutout, 32 nothing. Seven games, six and one record, seven games, 466 points scored. What was going on in collegiate offense or, or were they just facing depleted teams? What, what explains those, you know, those kind of ridiculously lopsided scores at the time? Well, well Tech also uh, famously, and I know Andy will start smiling over this, that they have the most lopsided win in history. They beat uh, Cumberland College at 222 to nothing. And the story goes that, that John Heisman, who was their coach, I think they were winning 110 to nothing at halftime. He, he told his team not to relax. You never knew what those Cumberland boys had up their sleeves. So, uh, Tech was, was very, very good back then. And, and, and some of the things they were doing with, with Heisman and Bill Alexander were really revolutionary. George, interestingly enough, we didn't field a team in 1917 and 1918 because of World War I. And, and a lot of schools did that. But that, that was just – it was one of those things with college football. And we might see – some some changes like this as well, just in terms of it, it was who you could play at the time because not everybody had a team. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get too much into the weeds on this. I'm, I'm not at all a fan of conference expansion. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that Georgia plays now Missouri every year but rarely plays LSU or Ole Miss. And in and, and, and Tech's conference now, it stretches from Syracuse to Miami. And, and I just wonder with the, the cost and the economic impact of all this, and it, you know, pretty much what everybody sees is football and men's basketball, but you're talking about, say, traveling a men's and women's swimming team or, or a track and field team from Morgantown, West Virginia to Lubbock, Texas, because West Virginia and Texas Tech are in the same conference, but Georgia and Georgia Tech are not. So again, when all this stuff started, it was based on regional rivalries and, and games you'd be interested in. And obviously now when you see during the war years, again, like you were saying, play the, the cavalry, that, that was a completely different time. But I, I think one of the, the changing faces you may see, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this, is just out of cost. I think you could potentially at the very least see a change in scheduling. And you know, to, to me, if I could give you another example, like men, men's golf to me is a good example. And, and both Georgia and Georgia Tech have great programs with, with a lot of 
famous pros like Bobby Jones went to, to Tech. Uh, uh, Bubba Watson has, has won two Masters from Georgia. But, you know, th these teams, it, it's a great life. Our golf coach at Georgia, Chris Hack's a personal friend of mine. And, you know, the team, they're going to Puerto Rico. They're, they're going to Pebble Beach. They're going to Hawaii. And I just wonder if, if that is going to be pulled back and maybe you'll see Georgia and Tech play some match play, say at the UGA golf course or, or play over in Atlanta. So just I think we might see in college athletics kind of a, a return to, to getting it back to more of the regional game where it started. And it's incredible with sports. I mean, whether it's formations or, or playing styles, sports always reinvents itself. And a lot of times it comes back to its starting points. Andy, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, what, what, what's, um, what was interesting was when I saw the picture and I thought to myself, well, this field where the picture was taken in 1918, as so many collegiate fields have been uh, ripped up and rebuilt and, and uh, moved to other places, maybe sometimes off campus. I learned to my pleasant surprise, I guess, that Grand Field still exists in the same place it was back then. And of course, it's been changed. But have you gone to games over the years? And, 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 and if so, do you ever walk to where you think the picture might have been taken and try to put yourself in that situation? Imagine what, you know, try to see what your grandfather saw back more than a century ago. Actually, I have. Um, and two, I don't know if you see the picture behind me, but uh, I, I drove the Raymond Wreck as a senior. So it's the 1930 Model A Sport Coupe leads the team onto the field. So it's a tremendous honor. I got to drive it to every home football game in the fall of 2001. So, um, but I also had, uh, I got to explore the stadium. Uh, and they actually have the original concrete uh, bleachers that, that date to my great-grandfather's picture still in place under the, uh, under the stands now. They're still in place. So I got to actually see the stands that have been in existence for 100 years. Um, the, stand, the stands where the men are sitting in that picture, those exact stands are still, still exist. Yes, but they're under the current stands now. Um, it's very historic. It's, it's, on the, um, it's on the west side of the stadium where those stands are. Um, and uh, I got, I've got to see them. And it's, it's, you know, it's a little known fact that they still exist and you still can access them. So it's pretty How cool. did you know? I mean, just out of curiosity, how did you know that, how, how, did, how did you know that they would still be around? And how do they know that those are the ones that are in the picture? Well, when you get to, you know, when I got to drive the wreck, you know, I, I, I got access to the stadium. So, you know, for, for some reason, they decided to give an undergraduate keys to the stadium. Then not only, but I got to explore it. Um, you know, I did it very responsibly, of course. Um, but, it, you know, it's well known in the Georgia Tech Athletic Department. Those stands are there. Um, and, you know, people have seen them through the years. They're not open to the public, but they're, they're still there. Um, and it just you know, further adds to the history, historic value of uh, Grant Field. Now, I mean, has, has the Georgia Tech Athletic Department or Georgia Tech overall, the Media Relations Department, do they know that you've had this picture all this time? Is it on public display somewhere? Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and it was actually the Georgia Tech Alumni Association that first found the, the picture, and they asked, you know, if they could use it. I was like, of course, please do. And that's what kind of opened, not kind of, that's what definitely opened, um, you know, uh, this, this, this great experience. Um, because uh, we were talking earlier about the, the first picture on, uh, you know, on AJC. And I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. What was his name again, Jeff? Are you talking about that when Tony Barnhart posted Tony. the picture? That's yes. It, Tony. Yes. Sorry. 
Uh, yeah, he was the first person that actually uh, founded on the Georgia Tech uh, Alumni Association uh, social media. And it was on, he put it in his article, I think the following morning on Sports Illustrated. But you've had it, as you, as you said at the beginning, you've had it in your office all these years. Like it's been part of the family lore all this time, right? Yeah, when I, yeah I'm a lawyer by trade, don't hold that against me, but uh, I've always had those hanging up in my office, you know, and um, you know, it's, it's, you know, people, you know, it's a it's conversation starter first and foremost, you know, oh, people wearing masks at football game and I get to talk about the, you know, the historical connection. Can you tell me a little bit about your grandfather, your great grandfather, say what, what kind of guy was he, was he like, what kind of hobbies did he have, what, what did he do for a living, I know you mentioned he was a mechanical engineer, but did he have his own company, did he put, well, out, I mean, put together big projects, was he living in the area his whole life? No, he was born in Richland, Georgia, which is south, uh, very, very close to Plains. Um, our family actually has some connections with the Carter family, you know, uh, President Carter down in that area. But uh, right after uh, he graduated from Tech, uh, he moved to Miami, Florida. Uh, and he and a friend of his opened up a, a, a shop, a garage, to work on cars, repairs, and whatnot. Uh, and, and per the interview with my dad and uncle, um, my great-grandfather being a mechanical engineer and, and, and gearhead, uh, he had to build a very fast boat. Uh, and so not only was he running a garage in, in Miami, Florida, but they were deciding to uh, import some libations during Prohibition. So, um, which was, and there's some pictures of him, you know, celebrating on the, on the, you know, on the dock and whatnot. And um, so he uses Georgia Tech mechanical engineering skills to outrun the, the Coast Guard, it appears. Uh, I think after the Great Depression, uh, they moved back up uh, to South Georgia and he, a little of this, a little of that. Um, he and his wife uh, ended up moving back to the Richland area and they opened up a, a boarding school uh, for, uh, for boys and they still there was a housing and, and teaching facility there. Um, and he died in uh, 1998. So he was all over the place uh, with, you know, uh, his, his professional experiences for sure. Did you, did you guys ever go to sporting events together? We did not, we did not. Mm. Uh, like I said, I, he died in 1998, so I was, uh, you know, just out of high school. Um, and the thing that really stuck me about him, though, uh, when we would go down there, he was still, you know, cutting his own grass. He was still doing this and that, at, you know, late 90s. And that's very inspiring to us all. Not only can we make it through a, a flu epidemic, we can also live a very long, healthy life. Um, and uh, it's inspiring, to say the least. So now his, we know his surname was Carter. So you're saying that... He was his. He was related to former President Carter. Uh, they weren't related. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. Carter's a kind of generic. You know, not generic, but it's a common name. But sure. it's, not, it's um. But they were in the same area. Uh, and uh, evidently, my great grandfather's dad. So my great great grandfather went went into business with Jimmy Carter's grandfather, uh, dealing with uh, you know the cotton uh, growing and transportation industry. They owned some type of facility down there where they would loaded on the trains and uh, distribute and whatnot. So, uh, but we still, it, it was still not verified that there's a Carter family connection. It was just a common name evidently, you know, uh, in, that, in that region in that time period. Mm -hmm. I wanted to conclude the conversation by asking you guys, what are you looking forward to both, you know, briefly, but in your lives and particularly in your, in terms of your sports interests, what are you, what are you interested mostly in getting back to once once things resume with some semblance of normalcy. Why don't you go, Jeff? 
I, I just, you know, want, want to have the, the games come back, certainly. And uh, just like Andy feels about Grant Field, um, you know, Sanford Stadium's a very special place. And just to, to get back between the hedges, as we call it, and um, j just to get the games back going again and, and to hear the band play. And, you know, as Andy can, can relate to, when we talk about sports being a unifier, it's not just about the games itself. And I think as, as we get older and, you know, we move and, and people get married and, and have kids and do adult things, you know, these, those six or seven fall Saturdays uh, when, when you play home games, it brings everybody back together. And you get to see all your friends and you get to see all your family. And, and especially when, when your team wins, that those are really what we call just – just golden Saturdays. So, so getting to that, and, and I think for me, working in the business, I mean, what I've missed so much is is the travel, just being with my broadcast partner and, and our, our coaches and and support personnel and, and being around the players and, and you know just just having the meals together and, and the conversations and talking about the game, the quote unquote little things that I think we've taken for granted. Uh, that's what I've missed, and that's what what I'll really really savor. When we get back, the games themselves will be great, but everything that goes along with it is just as special. What about you, Andy? Are there sports that you enjoy going to, you know, particularly in you know, Georgia Tech or elsewhere? Uh, of, of course, you know, you know, football is a, is a, you know, it's a religion here in the South, um, and I enjoy going to games. But to be honest with you, baseball is, is the sport I miss the most. Um, I've been, uh, you know, plenty of uh, games in – on Georgia's campus and uh, I've got Georgia Tech season tickets and it's you know it's great to win the game but you're there just you're there in the environment with your friends um, it's, a, it's a purity that is just relaxing you know people plan their day around it they you go and you tailgate and you get to enjoy the weather and you get to uh, you know see people you haven't seen in quite some time and, and yeah it's great you know when your team wins but even not it's still a great day as long as the weather's cooperating uh, it's 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 just a purity um like jeff was saying it's a it's a purity that uh, is oh so special um you're you're seeing at especially on the collegiate level student athletes out there they're you know, sure some of them are going to be professionals and make some money and be famous but others are just really good at the sport that they're playing and they're doing it because they love it and they're representing the school and it's just it's a purity that's that you know now that we haven't been able to watch it in person for quite some time you, you get to appreciate even more about what it's worth and um, how, how, how precious it is to not only the people that play it, but the people that watch it, the people that broadcast it, the people that organize it. Um, it's a win-win-win. I miss it. Well, Andy McNeil and Jeff Danso, thanks very much for appearing on, on the show on Hillel Cutler's ABC's Athletics Beyond Coronavirus. And of course, let's hope that we can put this coronavirus behind us really soon and hope you and your family stay healthy. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Alel. It was my honor to be on, and uh, for Andy, a great honor to get to, to drive the, the rambling wreck there. That's one of the great traditions. That other something he and his great grandfather can be very proud of. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. And it's it's been a pleasure talking with you, gentlemen. And uh, Halal, thank you for your broadcast. I look forward to listening to this and other ones, and you're doing a very good job. And <laughs>